is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the rock stars of the third and fourth generations of video game consoles, the NES, or Nintendo Entertainment System, the Super NES, and the Sega Genesis. In 1985, the home video game console market looked pretty bleak. Atari had suffered grievous self-inflicted wounds from mismanagement and from saturating the market with its 2600 consoles. And the wider video game crash of 1983 had a lot of folks wondering if video games were still a good way to make money. But Japanese toy maker Nintendo knew different. In 1983, it launched the 8-bit Famicom console in Japan, and in 1985, it brought that to the United States as the Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES for short. Before long, the NES took the gaming world by storm and almost single-handedly saved the video game industry from itself. The NES sold nearly 62 million units, which is more than twice the total number of Atari 2600s that made it into people's homes. Nintendo and third-party developers such as Capcom, Konami, Tecmo, Square, Koei, and Enix published a deep roster of fun, family-friendly games that hooked players straight away. Many of these launched some of the video game industry's most enduring franchises, such as Mario, Legend of Zelda, Metroid, Final Fantasy, Castlevania, and more. The NES dominated home gaming for the back half of the 1980s, and in 1990 it passed the torch to the 16-bit Super NES, which sold another 49 million units and continued many of the NES's best game series. It also offered compelling arcade ports such as the Street Fighter series. But Nintendo would not rule unchallenged. Two years earlier, in 1988, Sega launched its 16-bit Mega Drive console, which it marketed a year later in North America as the Genesis. The Genesis boasted rich color, superior sound, and under the tagline of the Genesis does what Nintendo don't, it offered a game roster that ran almost as deep as the original NES and offered heavier hitting content that would never have made it past Nintendo's sensors. The Genesis provided some of the first and best realistic sports games. It offered truly excellent arcade ports such as Golden Axe and Mortal Kombat. It offered great PC ports, too, such as Out of This World, Dune 2, and Syndicate. And it had more than a few originals that spawned long-running franchises of its own, such as Sonic the Hedgehog, Echo the Dolphin, and Earthworm Jim. Including third-party variants, the Genesis sold more than 32 million units, again, well more than what the Atari 2600 ever moved, and all without destroying the very market it served. As Nintendo and Sega kept each other honest, gamers everywhere enjoyed an 8-bit and 16-bit golden age that ran from about 1983 to 1993. After that, the introduction of the Sony PlayStation would change the landscape yet again. But in the hearts of their fans, the Nintendo and Sega eras never really ended. So let's blow the dust out of our cartridges and hit the start button. With me today is inventor of Tanuki Suit Friday, Chris Crenshaw. It's a me! <laughs> Capable of destroying a brick wall in under 40 seconds, Tom Hespos. Hadouken! And three-time winner of the Trip Hawkins Sega Trophy, Joe Pace. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Everyone, welcome. Chris, we're going we're gonna to go kind of in chronological order tonight, I think. Chris, I'd like to start with you on what your moment of truth is. And really, yours is the best one to start off talking about all things Nintendo. So why don't you walk us through your moment of truth? What game kind of gives you that moment? Describe the game a little bit for folks who haven't played it. And what makes your connection to it so special? You know, Bill, when I look at the flagship titles of the third generation, I don't 
really see a whole lot that evoked strong feelings in me. I didn't play Zelda or Metroid or Castlevania on the NES. And, and Mario really wasn't my favorite line of games, although I did own them. Super Mario Brothers 3 was an exception. It was much superior to its predecessors in every single way. It was long, it was tough, it was varied. Uh, it was constantly introducing new game mechanics, which became, you know, a hallmark of, I mean, uh, certainly of the Mario games, but in a wider sense of Nintendo in general, because uh, Zelda works exactly the same way. Anyway, so Super Mario 3 came out uh, in 1990 in the U.S., and uh, this was maybe eight months before the Super NES released so this was like you know the state-of-the-art mario experience and i was living in my fraternity house as a sophomore then as i often did when i played video games at the time i had an audience and and when i reached the end of this game one member of my little audience uh ran down the hallway calling out hey crenshaw's at bowser to call folks in to watch and yeah I, yeah no one of the brothers who was you know cooler than me thought this was like the funniest thing ever and <laughs> over a year later when we had to move off campus near the end of our junior year he dubbed the house we rented bowser because crenshaw was there <laughs> and that name stuck honestly i it, it that's that's what people knew our house as really <laughs> but you know what no mockery has ever stung less because i was the one and everybody knew it. I was shown yeah. off. I had to glow. <laughs> I was at Bowser. And, and I took yeah. him down when nobody else I knew had even gotten close. Yeah. Plus, I shared that house, Bowser, with, for more than a year with three of my four closest friends at the time, and including my freshman year roommate, Hoover, with whom I shared an actual room for half my college years, and Marty, the guy I lived with for several years after college. So Bowser never stops recalling my favorite memories as a young man. And I guess that's my moment of truth. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Now I've seen super Mario three, like it regularly tops lists of like, you know, best Nintendo games or some of the best console games ever made. I'm like, there's a real deep reverence for this game. I never played it. I did play super Mario two. I actually played a lot in your, in your room freshman year, honestly. Mm -hmm. and, And I really enjoyed it, but my understanding is that in the larger Mario context, that one is actually the weird one. Like that's yeah, like, that was not even a Mario game. Really. Yeah, it's like a reskinned yeah. game, other game. But it was goofy, and I liked it. But I never got to play Mario three. But I understand that's like the real high watermark. So, you know, like I played Super Mario, was never any good at it. I enjoyed it, but I was never any good at it. I finished Super Mario two, but it was definitely kind of an oddball sort of experience right. why <laughs> is off. why is super mario 3 so good like what about it makes it such a such a terrific game i know the credit has but i don't know why it has it if you remember the original super mario brothers it was just a blast through nine worlds or whatever with a castle at the end and and it was just a little bit samey and repetitive you know like mm-hmm. environments change you know in detail but not in character but when you got to Super Mario 3, there, a whole new game design philosophy was was starting to take hold. Uh, the levels were shorter. You had an overworld and you would move around in it. And you're like, you know what? I want to finish this level and this level and this level so I can get to this thing 
But then, you know what, later I'm going to come back and I'm going to redo those levels and get all the stuff in them so I can get the red star or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it introduced a lot of like sort of metagaming and replayability. What you saw later on the Super NES with Super Mario World was absolutely a continuation of, of what had begun with Super Mario 3. Yeah, yeah. You know, this game comes from like the couch co-op era, a type of gaming that really has kind of gone away. And I really miss it because couch co-op was just a great way to play games with people. And I totally get what you're saying about how you had an audience when you're finishing that game because it's like that that could happen with these early console games in a way that doesn't quite happen with other games nowadays just because you don't have the the reason for a group of people to be around you while, you, while you're playing for, for whatever reason. But I... Like, I had a similar experience when I was playing Mega Man 2, you know, and I only ever played it once, but I played it all the way through during, like, this whole day-long binge, you know. I just started it in the morning, and I was like, this is awesome. And by the time I was at the the final level, like, all my brother's friends had come over, and they were hanging out downstairs where I was, and they wanted to watch a movie or whatever, but I had the TV locked up. And I was like, well, I'm just, I'll be done in a minute, guys. And they're like, okay. And they're watching me finish playing, and there's, like, half a dozen people and they're just like wrapped like am i gonna beat this, this, this game you know and it was it was weird like you can get really invested because these games were kind of punishing they weren't easy to finish it was cool it was like it was almost like when you were at the arcade you know and people were like you know flipping out because you're about to get a high score like it was that kind of dynamic you know and you didn't have that with a lot of games but it was kind of cool when it could happen to the game you're playing you know because you really feel like the weight of those eyes on you <laughs> like uh-huh. like like it's already a tense moment cause you're trying to finish the game but you've got like you know <laughs> people around you who are like you know holding their breath on you it's 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 kind of a thing i love that aspect of couch co-op you know when when somebody gets further in one of these games than anybody's ever gotten before like everybody on the couch lights up because yeah you've never seen this before and and you're paying attention to what the person's doing to you know be able to get past the point that no one was ever 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 able to get to yeah, I, I love that aspect of it because, like, you just like electrify a room. It's so great. <laughs> well, you know, things get real when you hit that point. You're in undiscovered country, and all the all the kibitzing on the on the couch in the room, like all the smart alecky talk, it just stops. Right, everybody just gets quiet because they're just like watching you play because like they're yeah they're like they're going to school and they want to see what happens and they don't want to screw you up because they realize like it's deeply uncool to screw with somebody while they're like doing something new. And they're like in that, that red zone of a game. Like that's a punching offense. I mean, sorry, like, <laughs> you're going to mess with somebody, you know, like the last level of a game for the first time. You don't, that's not when you screw with somebody, <laughs> screw with them some other time, you know, it can be so exciting that it sends you yeah. running down the hall to yeah. call more people in <laughs> like totally unironically in, in real like, life. Yeah. Franchise at Bowser. Everybody, y'all. Oh my God. It's like a samurai movie when the villagers like banging the bell. Bandits are coming. It's like Crenshaw's at Bowser. Stop what you're ding, doing. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, everybody. My enduring memory of that game is uh, is the music. Oh, yeah. um, because it, it was like water torture. <laughs> <laughs> how, so, how so? The music? Well, it was, it was, in, it was insanely repetitive the the music and it would it would it would get into these grooves where it was the same you know do 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 we all know the music we all know the I was about I think fifteen and my brother was seventeen and, and my brother would, would play a lot and I just have these memories of my father coming down and going turn off that goddamn music I can't take it anymore because he doesn't all he hears is the same it had song. a certain like, you know, like bass like, resonance to it that really carried <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know my 
my father my father had um a certain amount of hearing damage from his time um on battleships in in, in, uh, in vietnam and he could hear certain things and not other things and this one hit him right where he lived <laughs> and it drove him bonkers. it was like a dog whistle and he would come you know, down the stairs and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, hour 10 of you playing this game. Like, ah, I can't it's take cut it through his tinnitus like a laser beam. <laughs> oh, poor guy. That's so funny, though. <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool. So, so we're going to move on real quick to my moment, which is also from the NES. Whereas Chris drew upon like one of the pinnacles of the pinnacles, my moment comes from a game that's actually a fair bit more obscure. It's, it's, it's a cult favorite. But it often does not make best of lists for, you know, for, you know, in the NES or whatever. It's just it's just an oddball of a game. Some people aren't as smart as others. This is true. And this game proves it. <laughs> but yeah. this game is one that I absolutely adored. And it's called Super Dodgeball. It's not a sports game. It's not a combat game. It's kind of both. It's totally unexpected, different, and and hilarious. It's just a, just a hilarious game. So... Super Dodgeball is basically it's a three v three dodgeball tournament, but like like you're on like one half of the court, and then you've got another three guys on the outside, the other half of the court, and you can like you can throw the ball at guys across the court, or you can pass to your guys on the other side on the outside, and they can pass back and forth, they can do like a, a cheeky little shot from the outside that sort of thing. It's just a fairly simple thing where you're just like you're running up and you try to power up and like either throw a special shot or jump and throw a special shot and you know, you can hit the button and dodge it, or you can try to catch it. If you hit the guy, they're not just out like you normally would be in dodgeball. It's like you do hit point damage to them. And the trick is to double tap and run and to time things just right. So you activate like a special shot. And that's where the things really get nuts, right? So, and the special shots were just like the ball would like glow and they would like take off like a, like a, like a rocket. Yeah. Or like split into three or like, or it would like start going and then stop and then like accelerate and blast some dude. Or it would like go and stop and make like a right angle and blast some guy from yeah, the side. Yeah, go straight up in the air and then pound down somebody. Yeah. Oh, that was the best. We, we call that death from above. Cause you're like, hi, it goes off the screen and you just see this little shadow of the ball like tracking. And like, you're like running out. around trying to like, avoid it. Look out, look out, here it comes. Bam. Right. Like, like you got rotted from space, you know, it's like, what the hell? You played Team America. You had six players. You could determine who was on the main field and who was on the outside. So you could change up your roster. Every player had their own stats. You would play uh, a tournament version where you played up against like six or seven other teams. There was like the All-Stars, like another American team, Team England, Team India, Team Iceland, Team Kenya, Team Japan, and then Team USSR, I believe. And then if you beat Team USSR and didn't lose a single one of your guys, all of a sudden there's a, sp- a, a bonus team, Team Shadow, would, would pop out and come after you. And they were the exact mirror image of your guys, right? You had to fight like your evil doppelgangers. The first-person version of it was fun, pretty easy to get through. Where the, the secret sauce in this one was the multiplayer, is when you start playing with other people. It was just this sort of game where it was easy to pick up and actually kind of easy to master. Yeah. You're, but when you're playing with other people, that's when it got really intense because it became so easy to throw and catch each other's shots that it became this, like, war of attrition with people. And, like, you know, the slightest slip would become this major big deal. And it could get intensely competitive, this game. I mean, Chris, you and I played it in your room an awful <laughs> lot. I played it when I would go home for break. <laughs> Sometimes we played over drinks, sometimes we wouldn't. This is the game that for me turns couch co-op into cage deathmatch, and people got hot over this game. <laughs> you know, no, not not since like tank pong and combat have I seen people rage quit and throw controllers down as they did when they get their ass beat in, in Super Dodgeball. Because the game was so it was all timing based, right? So yeah. it was it was relatively easy to master. Anything could happen. 
you know, like <laughs> true. That was like back in the day. That was one of the games I did not mind playing multiplayer because I could lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still have an aversion to multiplayer gaming because way back then it just wasn't fun for me yeah. generally. But with this game, it was anything could happen. And and, you know, you would get into these like you know, exchanges where, you know, you would do a, you know, somebody would do a special shot and you'd catch it and you would jump and you would like do this instant special, special return shot and they would catch it. They do the same. And yeah. <laughs> it just kept going back and forth. Like somebody's going to break. Yeah. Like, like Harry Potter and Voldemort. Yeah. 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 No, you know, it was, it was kind of like that, you know, it was, it was, it was such a blast. And the thing, the thing about multiplayer in this game was that you had those predetermined teams, right? Those teams were not balanced. There was there was a straight progression. Like Team England was definitively not as good as Team Japan, right? So when you played multiplayer, you everybody picked a team. So it's like there was automatically like a handicapping involved unless people pick the same team, um, and uh, which is kind of a kind of a shortcoming. Uh, the game had its shortcomings. It actually had pretty bad flicker rate in it because mm. because the game was like at the it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. It was at the outer edge of what the NES could actually process graphics wise. And after all, you just kind of got used to the flicker, and you could actually like became part of the game. The cool thing about the mismatched teams is that you could use it as a flex. You're like, all right, you know what? Like, fine, you're gonna be Team Russia. Okay. I'll be Team All Stars. Let's let's go. And you're like, whoa, wait, the Team All Stars suck. I know. Let's do this. And now you're like, oh crap! If I lose against Team All Stars, this is like major face, right? Like I'm gonna, you know. And this and I used, back before back before there was tea bagging, there was this. There was this, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I used to love playing Team All Stars because little did anybody know that the captain of that team had a special unknown third secret attack, right? And it was it was unique to him when he threw the ball. It went this crazy corkscrew around the whole field. It could wipe out and it could knock an entire team off the board. And you would throw it. People like. Whoa, 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 what is that? <laughs> it was like just blow, <laughs> blew them away. They, they, they had no clue what was coming at them. I just I just loved doing it. It was, it was such a fun game. The other thing about this game that I loved was that it's part of the long-running Kunio-kun series uh, from Technos Japan. And like only f- so they did like 20 of these games. And they're interconnected in Japan. Only five of them made it to the U.S. But one of them was the, this cult RPG beat-em-up called River City Ransom, which people yeah. love in the NES. I never played it, but it is. It, I know it is a favorite. But the thing with these games that they all had this very distinctive visual style, where all the characters are these bizarre, like they're not like anime chibi character, right, chibi it's characters, like early right? Pre chibi, yeah. It's like early pre chibi, yeah. They're like they're like strangely rectangularized and stunted, and they're like kind of like these weird people, like weird arms like and legs. Easter Island figures. Maybe. Yeah, they yeah, <laughs> like like if Frankenstein was an Eastern Island uh, Easter Island figure, that's what they would look like, and they look so bizarre. And so when you and like when you hit somebody and they go flying off the board, the whole body's like ah, and these little squares go flying. It's just so funny. It's like watching a turtle on its back as they go through the air. It's just kind of a, a humorous thing. I think that that added a lot to it because it was just so funny to watch people get housed in this game. <laughs> It's just so, so goofy. helping Bill? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was also a third version of this called Beanball. I don't know if you ever played that, but Beanball was basically you and another player and the other four. It was basically all of Team USA. It was just like free-for-all on a school like parking lot. It was like last man standing. And those were actually a lot of fun too, especially when you had a couple to drink. That was that was an awful, an awful lot of fun. So <laughs> I'd never heard of that. Wow. It's it's I don't even I don't know how my so it was one of those where my brother had gotten it, 
I don't know where he heard of it. Seriously, when you look at like the list of like top NES games, this never even breaks the top like 50. I mean, it's just one of those games that the people who know it love it, but most people just don't even know of it. It's just one of those like there were so many NES games made that there are lots of little diamonds in the rough that people could easily miss. And I think that was kind of one of the cool things about NES is that there were the games everybody knew and play. But there is inevitably in somebody's collection this weird game that they had never seen that actually was kind of cool and had these these funny things to it. And so that's what I those, yeah. yeah, and that's what I think about with Super Dodgeball. That's why I like it so, so much because it's like it's it deserves more love than it gets, but it's okay because I kind of like that sort of an in an in crowd sort of thing. That was my my right. big one from this era. I had it for Game Boy Advance, but it was never never the same on the small screen. Yeah. It, it was just too hard to follow. Well, you know what? They've actually, they keep putting it out. It was released for the virtual console. So you can get it on the Wii, on the 3DS, and on Wii U. And they just released it for the Nintendo Switch. So if you have a Switch, you can get Super Dodgeball now through their their whole, like, I guess, Wii Arcade thing, which is, I think, is, I think that's great. I will say this, though. If ever there is a game that I wish it would just be just the same game, just reprogrammed with modern technology, it would be this one. Like, I just, I would love to play this on like a modern console with modern horsepower. Keep most of the same, you know, kind of look, you know, you know. It doesn't have and, to be super pretty. Yeah. It doesn't have to be super pretty. It doesn't have to be super more advanced necessarily. I just, just more, just, I would love to have this in a more modern thing just because it, it brings me joy. It's such a fun, goofy little game. Somebody out there is going to do it. <laughs> I, I really hope so, you know, or at least, at least, you know, takes it. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the challenges of it is that it's got such a distinctive look to it. That's part of the, the, the appeal. So somebody else did it, you know, like if Epic did it for Fortnite, right? It just, it wouldn't be quite the same, you know, but, but it would be, you know, close enough. I'd still take it, you know. That's what I need to let my kids know on the Switch that there's another excuse for, virt- you know, coming to the fisticuffs <laughs> and bloodletting over, over what's happening on the screen. Let me tell you something. If you're going to come to fisticuffs over a video game, this is a good video game to go to blows over. It really is. <laughs> so. Everybody's going to have the excuse to punch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true, and I, I can attest from personal experience. All right, so moving on. Joe, we're going to throw it over to you. Jumping to another console, walk us through you know what the game was, what you love so much about it, and, and how it kind of especially ties you to this whole you know era, era of gaming. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, I, I enjoyed football games. But they had a lot of limitations. Anyone playing on, on Atari or Arcade or the Commodore would, would know that there were a lot of limitations. The number of players on the screen, for instance, oftentimes they would only be able to fit like seven players per side or, or something like that. I played a lot of John Elway football, which, which had that, that problem, both in the arcade and, and at home. And then yeah. uh, that changed in the late 80s. And actually, it was, it was John Madden they brought on board to help develop a game. And he insisted, no, there's got to be 11 per side or I won't do it. You can't use my name if, if you do fewer than 11 per side. And they said, well, we don't have the technology to do that yet. It'll take a couple of years. And he said, well, then it'll take a couple of years. And they, that's why Madden didn't come out, you know, until a little bit, a little bit later, but it was actually the, the competitor was the game I played a lot more often. My brother had a Sega Genesis. He had first graduated from, from high school. And then when I was like end of high school, start of college, that, that's how we would hang out. I'd go to his house and we'd play on the Sega. This was in the, um, the early nineties. And the game we played most often wasn't the Madden games. We played the Joe Montana games. Um, and, and, it had set up early on that these two were going to kind of be the two titans going at each other of, of computer or uh, console football franchises. And there was the guy who had really developed with John Madden, the Madden game, uh, was a guy by the name of, uh, of Trip Hawkins, who was the president of, um, of 
EA. And Sega was trying to develop. They had the license to use Joe Montana's name and likeness. And they said, they went to this guy Hawkins and said, can you help us to develop the game? And he was like, sure, I'll help you. And he, and he came over. But he wanted to make sure that it would never really compete with his Madden creation. And so he made it be a little bit worse. And <laughs> there are some legendary ways in, in which he made it a little bit worse. My brother and I played it endlessly. But the one thing that would infuriate us is if you threw the ball into the end zone, you know, if, say I threw it into the end zone and his guys caught it. Uh, intercepted it and it would be a you know that should be a touchback and you get the ball at 20. It didn't work that way. You, you get an interception and then you it would be a safety, which is not <laughs> how it works. So like you would you would pull off this awesome play but it would give the other team two points and the ball. And it was, it was <laughs> but it was it would happen they had the voiceover announcements where it would say interception safety and you're like what what just happened? <laughs> it, it, it happened you know with enough frequency that it became we still say it to this day you know 30 years later when, <laughs> like, like 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 when victory turns to injustice exactly, exactly. <laughs> as someone who grew up as a cowboys fan i'm really enjoying this anecdote <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the fun thing is that um you know we, we text each other watching football a lot and when something like that happens where this is great <laughs> oh it's terrible oh, interception safety right and, and so so the montana franchise never really caught on the way that the Madden people at EA and we ended up playing that as time went on because the, the game just got better every year and yeah. really pushed the envelope on what sports games could do. But I remember some of my happiest memories when, when he and I would hang out because we didn't live together anymore. And so we had to find ways to spend time together. And this is what we would do. We would, you know, he had a young child, he'd put his uh, son to bed and, and we'd play this game and, the intro, like a lot of games from this period, had this absolutely rocking, slapping bass intro that I can still hear, like e- even now. And earlier today, I, I started, you know, just watching intros to some of these old games with the and these great popping bass lines. It's just early '90s was a good time for slap bass. It really was. Cannot be denied. <laughs> you know, you talked so. about, about, you know, the, the difference between playing the computer and playing another person. I think sports game games are a great example of that because I can yeah. pick up my, my controller and I can beat any game, you know, when it's Madden or whatever, you know, you can, you, you find the cracks and, and make it work. Those don't work against a living competitor. They figure yeah. out that you're except in Tech Mobile. Well, Tech Mobile, we'll talk about Tech Mobile later. <laughs> We'll, talk about, we'll get to it. That's definitely a Thunder Round game. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Now, my understanding with Joe Montana football is that because it didn't have the NFL license to that game, like it wasn't like you wouldn't play the Oakland Raiders. You would just play Los Angeles, right? Yeah, you'd play Kansas City. Sports games at this time, though, started to, they started taking advantage of the really rich data sets that come with professional sports leagues. And so, like, did Joe Montana, like, even though it didn't have the license and there were some – technical limitations to the game <laughs> artificially imposed does it still have like that breadth of data where it just sort of drew upon like you know you can have like all these little guys are slightly different from each other and, and yeah and they had ratings kind of thing? The individual players would have, now they didn't have the nfl uh license so they couldn't have the team names but they had the players association license so it had the player names and so you would have if you were playing you know at that time kansas city and montana had moved on to be with the chiefs you had qb 16 joe montana who was obviously off the charts <laughs> best at yeah. everything you know yeah his receivers would have their names and it would some were better than others and mm-hmm. it was, um, there was sure. granularity to that but when it comes to individual player ratings we'll, we'll save that conversation for when we get to tech mobile later because 
that that there, there's some wonderful tales to be told. Uh, Tom has a hundred hitting power. That's yeah. all you need to know. <laughs> you know, Joe, you did say something though that I think is really it touches upon something I especially love about this era of video games. But I imagine it's something that might actually um, scale up in time in different ways. Which is that you know when you're at that part of your life when there are people who are very near and dear to you but you're no longer cohabitating right because like you've grown up you've gone to college you moved away but you know you're still very close you know your brothers your sisters you know you know that's you know very close friends it's that that first challenge of adult life where you have to make time to stay in touch with people who matter to you you know and how these games are such a great way to do that you know you, you know just come on over and you know play you know play madden for a night or you come over and you know play whatever like that became the, the games became the vector it became more than just the games. It became a vector for how your friendships, you know, th- live and thrive th- during this period of time. And so this is not just confined to this era of games. It's as people get older, you know, it, it, now it's easier just with multiplayer. You can just get on a headset, you mm-hmm. know, and like there are friends I keep in touch with almost entirely by way of connecting with them on my PlayStation. They can fulfill that purpose, which I think is an interesting thing that may not have been necessarily intended, but they do that. And I think that's, that's kind of a cool thing. And I, I look at this era of games in that light because a lot of the times I was playing these games, not just for, for that fun, but because they were the way in which I, it was my reason to get together with somebody and, and, and have some fun. But, it could, you know, they, they sustained some of those friendships. They also were great for starting friendships. I, I went to college in the fall of 93 and we didn't have cable in any of our dorms. Nobody had, you know, guys would bring VCRs from home and you'd watch the same six movies over and over again. But the guy down the hall he's got uh, a Sega Genesis and we're going to play Madden and you go and you meet the guys that way. And, yeah. you know, and it, it, it's just, it's something to do with your hands and your, your conversation and everything while you're, you know, getting mm-hmm. close to new people. And now pecking orders get established pretty, pretty quickly. You know, not everybody can go to Bowser. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. some things need measuring. <laughs> hey, lucky for you. That's what we were measuring. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to your point though, Joe. I mean, like, 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 you know, with with Chris and I. So we were on the same floor our freshman year. Whether we're playing Super Mario Two, we played a lot of Tetris in his room. Oh yeah. And and it was a way like a lot of people I really befriended on my hall my freshman year. We did it because we're all coming down to that end of the hall, you know. We, we, and we were going to one of the two rooms down there, and usually we're going into Crenshaw and Hoover's room to to get around the TV and play games. And it was like yeah. a great way for people to get together. And we had this thing at our school where you didn't really have to lock your door. So I, I, I left yeah. my dorm room open specifically so people could come in and play the games. Oh, yeah. Oh, there were times I just walked down there and played and like either like Hoover was there or nobody was there. I'm just like, All right, I just showed up, played some Tetris, then left, went to class. You know, it, it was it was just this sort of a thing. And it was really but it was really cool. Like it, was, it turned your room into a little bit of a common room kind of a, kind of a scene. And that was really great for being for being away from home for the first time and knowing there's a shared interest of people you dug and you could it was a way to find out other shared interests and that's what that's one of the things i love about these games and the couch co-op aspect of it i think it matters because it, it kind of helped helped develop that sort of thing and i really i, I really treasure that we did so, that on our whole freshman year too except the then going to class part we just didn't do that part <laughs> <laughs> class optional baby yeah, I'm not going again. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Joe, I think you're entirely right about sports games in general. My favorite though was was uh, NHLPA '93. We'll get to that. Particular. We're gonna get to that. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, look, speaking about playing, uh, you know, playing video games and maybe making things class optional, I think we're, I think it's a good time for us to go to Tom's moment of truth. You know, his whole scene was with a whole other platform. Tom, why don't you talk us through, you know, your moment of truth, the platform you're playing on, the game that gave you your moment of truth, and really what, what was your special connection with it and, and, and why do you keep thinking about it nowadays? Uh, before we even get to that, though, it's like I have to talk about how I never wanted a Nintendo console. I never wanted a Super Nintendo because, you know, having gone from the whole Atari and television ColecoVision into the home computer games thing, like I was so enamored of that C64 culture where you didn't pay for games, you, you pirated them, you, know, you <laughs> shared them with friends. And like, it was such a quantum leap ahead of, you know, the, the original consoles that we had growing up that like when news began to circulate that this Nintendo thing was a winner, like I didn't want one. I was like, I don't want to go back to consoles. Why would we ever go back to consoles? Like, I'm so done with that. Paying for cartridges, like, and you know, like, like I don't, I don't suck a pacifier. Why would I play on a console? Why would I go back to consoles? And honestly, it was like my little sister wanted Nintendo so bad. That was the only reason we got a Nintendo. Otherwise, I, w- I think I would have skipped it entirely. As the SNES came out, like. That was another one like I, I wanted to skip and then, you know, ended up playing it quite a bit. You guys remember like, you know, during college coming home for breaks, like, you know, some of them, they were too long in, in terms of like, you know, you get bored out of your mind being away from school and all the freedom that that entailed. But they were like too short to go get a job, you know, because yeah. it was only yeah. like three weeks or something. So like, yeah. I would end up like many times going over to my friend's house down the block on Allen and we would just sit in his basement and he had brought his super Nintendo back from college and I got exposed to it that way. Otherwise, again, I I think I probably would have skipped it entirely, but like we put in some serious time on a lot of super Nintendo games, but the one we played most often was uh, street fighter two. And, you know, a game I now love and I almost missed because I didn't like I didn't like the game itself. Like when I first started playing it, I'm like, this is an arcade game that I know like took advantage of little kids because you had to like experiment and learn all these like special moves that no one ever told you how to do it, how to kind of pass like word of mouth, like how to actually execute them and everything. And I'm like, this game's a ripoff. I can't stand it, you know. But like John was like, No, 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 it's cool. Like we play this all the time at his fraternity house at SUNY Binghamton. So, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll learn how to play. Fine. And we put in some serious hours and it was like, I got hooked like that. I mean, it was just like, I no longer care, you know, like he's going to, cause he's going to teach me what I have to do all the special moves. I just got to get as good as he is so I can give him a challenge, you know? So yeah. it was kind of like a crash course in how to play street fighter that would happen like over college breaks and stuff like oh, that. Man. And he was like, Oh, this game's the best, man. We like, we name pledges after the characters and stuff like that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. we called it Zangief. I'm like, really? All right. Well, <laughs> you know, fraternity life. But uh, no, I mean, it, it was just like that is the game that came along with like those long, boring college breaks. Like before yeah. we turned 21, just go out to bars and stuff. Because we, you know, couldn't do the fake ID thing at, at WNL. And I still play it to this day, and I teach my kids. You know, I teach them the special moves so that they can uh, attack each other. It's, it's great. So, who so who is your preferred character in, in Street Fighter Two? I had a, I play all of them. If you have to, there was one. There's one who edges all out. You gotta out. have one. You gotta have one. 
Ryu or Ken, really okay. good, yeah, yeah. Rich, but because uh, they have the same moves, I would play Guile. Like there was a point I got to with Guile where guy. like you couldn't beat me. There was God. no way you were gonna be like th- th- I, I, you couldn't figure out a way to get around the defenses. It was just, you Guile guys <laughs> suck. Let me just say that for the record, okay? You Guile guys can just go walk off a pier. Honestly, Ugh. we're we're playing for money, right, Bill? Oh, you know, <laughs> Sonic <laughs> booming, you know, hooligans, honestly. Yeah, and your cool little flash kick that I can't get over, yeah. and your stupid Sonic booms all day long and twice on Sundays. Oh, my God. I couldn't stand Guile. So. <laughs> there I always I always played Ken. With Dalcine, though, like, you know, because he was slow and, you know, Dalcine's uh, fun. Moves were, like, not as cool. Yeah. But, like, he, yeah. he had so much character. I love that guy. He had a lot of character. The thing about Dalcine that was a lot of fun is that he was all about, because he was so slow, you had to be an ace with timing. Right, oh, and if yeah. you could, if you get the timing right, you could be pretty lethal with him. And it was kind of like a flex for people to like school you and dulce him because you're like, oh, this guy's so slow. It's like, well, then why don't you come at me? You know, long foot, pow! Like, oh, come on, yoga flame, stop it! Right you know, in the teeth. <laughs> exactly, right in the dish. Why? You know, one of the things but, I like. I liked about that was that they actually had a, a playable female characters too, like Chun Li. I remember using a lot. Um, she was great. Chun Li was, was so awesome, and, and it really changed some of like because you didn't have playable female characters in the in the, mm. the Master Fighter game before that, and that and it only got better after the first edition. You know, like like now there's like thirty playable female characters <laughs> in Street Fighter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's nothing like the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Super Nintendo port was great. You know, it was almost exactly it like really. It was it was a perfect port. But it was fun. It, really it was, was fun when somebody when you'd pick Chun Li and somebody'd be like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna pick the girl," and then you would just waste them. And yeah. <laughs> it was something special. Chun Li with her. Yeah, yeah. Chun Li was in the you know, getting things done business. I mean, she would just like school. She she could stomp on your head. That was good. she. Oh god, she was rough. Because <laughs> this is like one of the flagship titles that, or at least. I don't know if it was meant as a flagship title for the SNES, but it became one of those things, right? It it was certainly like one of the standard bearers for the whole platform. And it was weird because it was like that perfect confluence of like out in the world, the game was red hot in the arcades. It had really kind of launched the whole fighter genre in general. And the tech was at a place where you could have pretty much the same game on your console at home. So it was like a real honest-to-goodness arcade experience where it wasn't like a game that reminded you of the arcade game. It was like the arcade game. You just didn't have a joystick. Yeah, yeah. and it was like that's a, that was a new thing. And that was a, that was a pretty pretty radical leap, really, you know, in terms of, in terms of gaming experience. Um, and, uh, and, and what better one to do it with than Street Fighter 2? Because that game is deep. I mean, you can... You can spend a lot of time trying to figure your way through that game. And you can spend a lot of time just focusing on just one character, just to get really good at that one character, let alone getting good at all at all of them. You know? Yeah, I mean, you had to be able to do the special moves on command with, like, no mistakes. You had to be able to get all the timings right. And, like, the different yeah. characters had different timings. It was a deep... Yeah, you could go very, very deep with that game. There are a few moments in that game more humiliating than when somebody was really good with Zanjeev just grabs you and just pile drives you and you watch your health bar just <laughs> watch your health bar drop like game like GameStop uh, stop price like oh man like come on you know <laughs> Adam's I, out. I will say that it was this game that cemented my understanding that I did not need to get a Genesis because fighting games were so much better on Super Nintendo. Sorry. They were. <laughs> they were. They were great. Yeah. 
So. I like the sports games on uh, on Sega, but uh, Se- Sega's Sega's D pad was really great for sports games. Yeah. 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 Now, now, what other Street Fighter games ended up getting to the SNES? I know it wasn't just Street Fighter Two. Was it? Was it? It had, uh, had World Street Warrior Street Championship yeah. Edition. They, they had Alpha eventually. Oh, they did. They they got to, they got up to Alpha. I believe so. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Nothing beats the original. I mean, like. <laughs> when I, if I fire it up in emulators now, I just go back to the original. That's the only one that's really leading. I don't know, man. The, the championship edition was just great, you know, because you got you you got M Bison and and, and Vega and everybody, and, Vega, and you had yeah. you had the turbo mode that was a really yeah. When they good when they unlock the bosses, that's awfully fun. No, absolutely not. That is a violation of the space time continuum. <laughs> You're not allowed to play Balrog. <laughs> I I can't I can't believe that the guy who's a maestro at Guile of all people is angry that you can you know some other guy can maybe get their hands on Saget and basically high kick people out of the air every time they try to jump over them. Tom, come on now, please. Mm-hmm. Yep, I had it good and I didn't want anything to change. So I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we've gone through everybody's moments of truth, and I think what we're going to do now is we're going to move into a thunder round because here's the deal. Between the NES, the SNES, and the Genesis, you've got like well over 2,500 games, maybe pushing 3,000 games that, that were published over the lifetime of all three of those platforms. I mean, those games had incredibly deep rosters of games to offer. A lot of them were not great, but a lot of them really were. And like we're saying before, there are a lot of diamonds in the rough. So we can't get to all of them, but I think uh, it, it's, it's time for us to go around the table and, and, and to it, name Let's them. go. <laughs> Chris is like, I'm ready. He's like, my body is ready for this. <laughs> Fight. All right. Well, look, I will start off. On the NES, I loved Blades of Steel. Ching! Blades of Steel. Um, simple, simple, simple hockey game that it was just a lot of fun to play. It was not nearly as advanced as, say, Joe Montana football or anything like that, but it was just a lot of fun to play around with. Um, again, a great game to play when you've had a couple pints and you're just like, you know, getting nuts. It was a great hockey game in the sense that if you bumped your characters into each other, they would start fighting. And if you fought hard enough, it would go into a little mini game where it was an actual, like, you know, hockey brawl the beautiful thing about it is you know like rock'em sock'em robots really just who falls first the great thing about it though is that unlike real hockey where you just get five minutes for fighting here you just you knock somebody the f out and now they play shorthanded for a while it was like it was like it was like hansen brother you know hockey just like just body some fool and score on him it was just it was just fantastic but we weren't playing super dodgeball we were playing blades of steel and it was just a really fun just like People getting way more competitive than the game really merits, kind of kind of thing. But it was a it was a hoot. Chris, your first entry in Thunder Round. It's got it for NES. It's got to be Tetris. Oh, oh yes. I had the Tengen version. Yeah. Tengen, uh, they made their cartridges with with a funny angle on the front and and generally a gold label. They had reverse engineered the Nintendo Lockout chip, so they were the first people to like challenged nintendo at building nintendo cartridges their version of tetris was released despite of nintendo's really ironclad north american rights which is funny (laughs) given that there's like a whole like epic story about how nintendo got their hands on tetris to begin with so i'm sure it really chaps somebody that they're like yeah what are they doing (laughs) they sued the crap out of them and 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 they shut them down immediately but i i worked for a video store and we had it and and i bought it 
I bought it from the store and brought it to school. And did you buy it? Like it was, you actually bought it from them, or did you just rent it and never return it? And pay no, it? no. Well, I worked there, so I was like, here, here's fifteen bucks. All right, come on. <laughs> here, come on, it's a come on purchase. God, remember renting video games from the or from the from like Blockbuster and stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that that I mean, that was my that was my jam back then. Yeah. I, I play. I yeah. got to play a lot of games because I worked at the store. Yeah. But uh, th- this game was so much superior to the Nintendo version. It really it was a two-player mode. Yes. Yes. And playing two-player Tetris was like it got it got mm. heated. You're like, oh man, you know, and like you know, like especially like if you're doing the whole dropping a long vertical force four thing like on the edge of the edge of the columns, so you can set up a, a massive thing and just you know ma- have massive Tetris things then. And then you screw it up, and <laughs> you, know, you got a big problem. The whole room will be like, oh, no, no. You're like, no. And you feel the heat of shame because you totally bollocks this thing. You're like, oh, man, come on, shut up. I would dream of Tetris. Yep. No, I mean, oh, no kidding. Yep. It is the yeah. grandpappy of the of the zone game. Uh, yeah. There's never been another like it where if you get into that headspace, you can play yeah. for – if people bring you, like, water, you could play for weeks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, 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 that Tetris game was a great game. It's a good call, uh, Chris. Uh, Joe, you're up. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, because you brought it up, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll play with, uh, stay with hockey and say that when, you know, on Sega, when they came out with NHL 92, 93, 94, like that, that series, it absolutely changed sports games. It's still maybe to this day, some of the best sports games relative to what was happening in the marketplace um, that there's ever been. And uh, the playability was so smooth. And one of the coolest innovations they had was the star under your player that would fill in a different yep. color. When they, in football, when they put the first down line on the TV screen for, for people yeah. to be able to see, and you wonder how you ever lived without it kind of thing. That's what <laughs> happened when they put the colored star under your, the player with the puck. Uh, it's, instead of just making you flash. Yeah, yeah. it just it absolutely yeah. <laughs> made it so much more enjoyable to play. Yeah. And I remember yeah. playing hours and hours and hours of, of, of that game. A perfect game, uh, uh, dude. That. When I was I was playing Blades of Steel earlier today, and my son walks by, he's watching me play, and he goes, "That's hard to look at." And I thought he was making a comment about the graphics, and he goes, "And he's like, no, no, like that's like an epilepsy like trigger right there. Like it's flashing way too much. I got to walk away." I'm like, "He's not wrong. It's like I get the star thing. You know, it's, it's a good point." We used yeah. to get uh, we used to play like full on tournaments of Sega NHL oh, yeah. in my fraternity house. And, you know, you, you, I got two teams. So, like, you know, I didn't know anything about hockey. I just knew that the Rangers were good. So, I grabbed the Rangers hometown. Detroit Red Wings. And I man. grabbed the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets because I they had this cool guy named Timu Solani. And I was like, he's he was the fastest. <laughs> like, you're awesome. I don't care who you are. Uh, so yeah, no, we, we played like full, like bracketed tournaments and one yeah. day it just came crashing down when like somebody discovered this move that became known as the weasel, which uh, <laughs> I love it already in front of the goal in a certain way. And the goalie would fall down every single every time. Well, right. I mean, right in. Yeah. And that was it. That would like that game ended it was because like we had a house meeting i think over like whether you could still use the weasel or whether we were gonna ban it and like there was no agreement everything no, that's, like, that's like, like spinning on foosball tournament. there's no agreement there's no <laughs> agreement possible <laughs> house meeting never has there been a more noble use of robert's rules of order <laughs> house meeting determine is the weasel is it or is it not an honorable form of play <laughs> it was so it was so infallible i mean like <laughs> that game, that game, like fell apart, 
really. Yeah. It was still so fun to to just kick the yeah. crap out of, you know, Denver or Colorado, you know, 22 to nothing. That was nice. <laughs> Scores that never happened before. You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's something heartbreaking, though, about when you have a great game and you you find that one exploit that once you find it, you can't unfind it. Like, like, like it's already there, and you almost have to, like, play around not using the exploit because it's so obvious. That happened on, on, on a bunch of games of this, of this era. Like, just the games were made in such a way that they're, it wasn't uncommon for them to have, like, an, an Achilles heel to them somewhere. Tom, go ahead. Uh, well, since you took... Uh, That's great, Tom. Moving on. Round two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going with uh, rock and roll racing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever played this. But, i never even heard of it. It's a good game. It's a great game for Super Nintendo. Like, we, we dumped hours upon hours into it. It was kind of like based on that, you know, that Atari racing game with the wheels in the arcade. It was kind of like that. Super like, Sprint. Yeah, super friendly. You would you would pick up like you know power ups and stuff along the way, and there were these yeah. cool like uh, trucks and everything that had guns on them. Is every it was really super cool. But the coolest thing about it was they had all this great background music just pulled from like real rock and roll songs. Like I'm like I remember the first time I played it, I'm like, wait, that's paranoid like by black sabbath like how <laughs> that's did actual get the music to get that into a video game it was so freaking cool and it had that this narrator you know who had just had this very distinctive voice to him where you know and he would give like all these comments along the way especially if you were doing poorly you'd be like <laughs> grinder is in another time zone and then like, in that voice <laughs> and it just started, like all this stuff kind of came together and it just yeah wonderfully awesome game that like no one had heard of at that point and it, like it was yeah. one of those things like you had to buy it and try it in order to yeah, yeah. Really appreciate it yeah. like recipe for a cult classic I love yeah. it. Tom I am absolutely sure that that game is was a sequel to RC Pro-Am for the NES which was uh, you know it, 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 it totally captured the, that super sprint feel with weapons it was Mario Kart before there was Mario Kart <laughs> Oh, there we go. That's outstanding. Outstanding. All right, round two. All right, I think I'm going to go with Mike Tyson's punch out. Oh, that comes off my list. So good. I got to take that off now. Which is such, uh, a, such a great game. And it was one of those things where you got to put yourself at the time, right? It came out at the time when Mike Tyson was the apex predator of heavy, heavyweight boxing. And I mean, like, he was invincible. He was the king of like the first round knockout. He showed up and like, don't get like, don't go up to get a drink because the fight might be over. Like he was just so powerful. He just overwhelmed opponents so badly. So I'm they definitely be- going to offen your children. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, so like, all right, so Mike Tyson's punch out. So they've attached his name to it, and of course, it wouldn't age that well because you know things happen with Mike uh, that 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 ultimately were not so great. But it was the sort of thing where you, know, you could work your way up. The different, you know, different opponents, and you know, body blow, body blow, and hook, hook them, and you know, knock these guys out, and they get back up again, and all that. And it was a lot of fun. It's just that the boss fight of this game is when you fight Mike Tyson, and he would just like, you know, one punch, wham, and like sixty percent of your health bar goes down. You're like, you felt it in your own body. You're like, God, that, that hurt. At a time when games really didn't care how hard they were, right? At a time when you know. You played games where it was very easy to fail at those games, and your only recourse was to simply play the whole thing over again. This was a boss battle that really, you know, it just it showed no mercy. 
It was absolutely brutal. And you want to talk about people gathering around like to see somebody, you know, you know, complete it. Like if you played this game and lost and your friend was playing, they're about to win and beat Tyson. It was like his victory was your victory. Like you really, really wanted to see it happen. And and so it was just a great game just collectively to watch happen. But boy, it was a tough one. But this was the, one of the great things about that game is it was like a measuring stick. You're like, oh, how far have you gotten in punch out? And you give a name <laughs> of the character. You're like, oh, that's yeah, exactly. Run. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and, like, you know, that was one that you could use the codes, though, where, you know, you could go to a game that you uh, could use a code that would bring you right to Mike Tyson. But here's the thing. If you weren't playing the game, couldn't, it didn't matter if you got to Mike Tyson. You just got annihilated because you're not just going to button mash your way through Mike Tyson. You had to know what you were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It, and it was timing. Like everything was like, even more than the original arcade game. Yeah, it was a game of like timing and patterns and stuff like that, and you could not screw it up. Yeah, no. not even slightly. Not, no, not, not even a little bit. Especially no. with Tyson. <laughs> Chris, round two for you. I'm gonna stick with NES and bring up Baseball Stars Two. It was the most realistic version of baseball ever. I mean, it really, it really was as far as baseball games go, revolutionary. It was one of the first cartridges with a battery backup, so that you could rename the players on your team. Um, wow. you know, so right. like, like you could name them after your, all your friends and you could, you know, draft new players and trade players between teams. Uh, and I never knew it at the time, although I played the absolute living crap out of that game. It had a hidden feature that lets you hire female players. Huh? Kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Interesting. Dig that. Oh, it's such a good game. I never even heard of Baseball Stars too. I, you know, honestly, I never played a lot of sports video games ever. Um, I just never really, really got into like Blades of Steel kind of quasi qualifies it wasn't a particularly accurate emulator that and i suck at baseball so playing it in a video game was like just a reminder of my shortcomings in real life same reason why i don't play basketball games i just i'm just i'm no good there i'm no good here there, there, <laughs> so there literally I is I, i'm i'm a big believer there has never been a really good basketball video game the closest honestly that i've ever played was when i played um nba jam in the arcade it was the most fun um, yeah, but as far, versus Jordan one on one. Yeah, but there's no, but again, it's just it's, it's a really, not really basketball. It's a really difficult yeah. game to yeah. um, just the nature. Of I agree, it. Joe. Wait, what do you have up next? Yeah, you guys are making it hard because my stuff keeps going off the board. I feel like I'm sitting here in my draft room and and uh, you know, oh, no, wondering what's going on. Um, I, I will say that um, when I was in college, I found myself playing Doom on on the Super NES. Uh, and maybe that's a little bit late for what we're, what we're talking about because it was maybe closer to like 94, 95. I've never been a big first person shooter game guy. Like even to this mm -hmm. day, like I, I, I just, I don't function well in that environment. Uh, my kids will try to get me to play Fortnite or stuff and I, or Battleground, you know, Star Wars Battlefront. And I, they're literally like, what happened to you? You were, you were here for a half a second. And now you're gone. And uh, <laughs> I so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 uh, you know, content myself to go get them more snacks. But, but I, 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 you. I'm with you. I hit this vein of, of playing doom. And I remember, I think it was like my sophomore year in college where like, that's what I did to unwind. And I would blow away these, these zombies and stuff. And it was, I found it deeply satisfying The the, the gray background with the lurid red numbers uh, at the bottom. And just for that one, <laughs> one brief period in time, uh, I, I got <laughs> a lot of satisfaction from, um, you know, the, the gratuitous uh, slaughter. Well, well, Doom was one of those games that it was so successful, 
it ported to like anything that could possibly accommodate it. I mean, there was there. I mean, it was it was kind of inescapable for a couple of years, and then Doom Two came out, and it was even more inescapable. So yeah, um, you know, you know, but and, and I don't know how well some of these these ports work, but I would imagine Doom would have been great on like the on the on the, on the SNES or on the on the Genesis. I mean, imagine it would have been just perfect there. I never played it on a console. I only ever nah, me either. Game, I... but like. It is still like a, a thing for like, you know, people like when they hack devices and stuff like that to see if they can get Doom running on it. You know, it's yeah, one of those things. That's, that's absolutely funny. true. <laughs> it's like my refrigerator is Wi-Fi enabled. I think I'll put Doom on it. You know, no kidding. I, I have I have a an MP3 player that uh, someone has written Doom software for. <laughs> Swear to God. When you say MP3 player, do you mean Zune? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay you're lying that's all right you don't have to I, yeah. I, I, I have had a zoom and i loved it <laughs> why do you have to turn this podcast into a dental eyes crenshaw no man, that, my my zoom second generation it was phenomenal it was so awesome i'm not talking about microsoft products keep it contained keep it contained uh. <laughs> anyway anyway all right tom thunder round round two what, do, what have you got for us go with the road rash series for second oh snap oh i love that so much like motorcycle game where you can like punch and kick people and hit them with bats <laughs> and chains like it was yeah, so rude sign me up <laughs> it was so rude uh, and i never had a sega so like I, you know i always yeah. played on else's equipment but man that was so freaking cool i love that game so much <laughs> i don't oh, think awesome. i ever saw that game until playstation uh, i didn't see it I didn't see it until PlayStation myself. I saw Road Rash 2 on the PlayStation, but it was so much fun. Like, the general concept of, yes, like, motorcycle racing, and you can just <laughs> knock fools off the bike, which is something you always wanted to do anyway. Like, like finally, that I'm long... Why did you play Hang On and, like, wish you could just kick yeah. the other guy next to you? And, like, they just fulfilled yeah, you... it, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you're, you're going over whoop to doos on, like, Excite Bike, and you're like, man, if only I could just drop Caltrops or something. Like, can I just... <laughs> Can I just kick a fool off his bike, please? You know, and Road Rash delivered in spades on that. They really did. All right, round three. I'm going to go with, for the NES again, I'm going to go with Contra, um, which is, mm-hmm. I think, any any oh, discussion yeah. of this, really, we'd have to mention it. Contra was just, you know, it was a side-scrolling game. It clearly was dropping an analog of Arnold Schwarzenegger and you know, Sly Stallone together in the jungles where they're blasting things together. Brutally difficult. The game just did not care if you died or not. And it was really easy to to get annihilated in the game unless you really knew what you were doing. A lot of pattern recognition, a lot of very tightly controlled movement, that sort of thing. Playing with a buddy, it was it threaded this weird line between co-op and not co-op. <laughs> like you weren't like fighting gauntlet. against yeah. Well, it was yeah, you weren't fighting against each other necessarily, but you could do something that would cost your buddy a life. And so it's like you weren't fighting on screen, but you were fighting on the couch, right? <laughs> and that happened a fair bit with Contra, and and it was it was pretty intense. It was such a punishing game that Konami, you know, they built into this 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 now famous cheat code. Uh, we can get yourself you know th- you know thirty free lives. In any other context, would be ample amount of lives to get all the way through the game. But like finishing Contra on thirty lives was not a guaranteed thing. Like it was still you had to like you had to be pretty good at which like not lose a life in the first couple of levels just to get to the end. I can't say I ever truly loved it, but I enjoyed beating it because I just it was like a it was like a it was like a spite challenge with me. Better on SNES. Super Contra was better. <laughs> oh, was it really? Contra. Now, was it the same game? Just looks better, or was it like like was a second game? It was closer to it was closer to the arcade. To, oh, to the arcade, got it. Okay, yeah. Chris, what do you have for us? All right, Bill, we we're gonna need three more rounds. 
(laughs) (laughs) I've already mentioned Super Mario World, which I I think is incomparable. I think it's one of the best games ever made, so I won't go back to it. But Super Tennis. Oh, my goodness. Super Tennis was the sleeper sports game of the century. That game was brilliant okay the gameplay so was okay hang on i first of all i've never even heard of this game second of all i've never even heard of a tennis game so oh, why well, so why is super tennis so so cool like what's so great about it tennis is one of the 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 pillars of nintendo's sports universe they they always do tennis soccer and volleyball more recently you've gotten like you know this the the mario tennis the smash brothers characters are playing but this was a game for Super NES where it was just humans and you could you could select from all these tennis pros and they all had their advantages and disadvantages and you know you could change their outfits a little bit but the control and gameplay with four buttons and the the two shoulder buttons where that you let you do things like slices and things oh it was just gorgeous um really emergent beautiful gameplay coming from a simple simple set of rules would you say it's one of the first like control freak games you came across were you i i yeah yeah i think maybe the first control freak game was uh super mario brothers 2 mm. if you recall that game how like everybody controlled differently and you know yeah, you yeah. would choose just for that this was like that i'm telling you bill it, it, it was just it was the most one of the most satisfying games I've ever played. I will jump on the pie and play it tonight. Joe, what have you got? Yeah, uh, we've got to go back to football because we've got to talk about uh, Tech Mobile. And oh yes, Tech Tech Jackson. Jackson. we have to specifically talk about <laughs> Tecmo Super Bowl um, yes. in '91. And uh, this game, by the way, was the first video game football game that was licensed by both the NFL and by the Players Association. So you would have the team names and the player names. And you also had the game itself, you know, it it was limited in its uh, playability. But instead of the games you see now where you're sort of behind the line of scrimmage, this one was from an overhead, almost like a a TV perspective where it's left to right. It's semi-isometric. Yeah. Yeah, And but you would have the, the, the best part about this game was that there were gods who roamed among the mortals on the on the screen and you know tom mentioned you know lawrence taylor uh would you know hit people into next week or you know, and but the best thing figures was flying you yeah, know exactly like, you know it actually would break your you know your computer but like the the bo jackson bo jackson was ridiculous was so good and, and intentionally so they made him into the right like it, we made it you'd have to like in the neighborhood you'd be like no nobody gets to be the Raiders because it's not yeah. fair because you get Bo Jackson. This guy would, he was faster than anybody, stronger than anybody. Like you literally like nine guys would tackle him. There's that famous family guy episode uh-huh. um, where Peter is playing and he's just running around in circles and nobody can get him. The best part about this, by the way, guys, is he's doing it against the Patriots and the guy who keeps trying to tackle him is Garen Varus. Uh, who was a defensive end for the Patriots. And Peter mocks Varus throughout. It's the name on the screen. He's like, oh, come on, Varus. You're never going to get him. Fall down again, Varus. You know, and he's just like running around <laughs> the screen. With the guy. Garen Varus is a friend of mine. Uh, I got to know him. <laughs> I got to know him working at the University uh, of New Hampshire when we were both in development. And, and I got to know Garen. And, and on his Facebook page, regularly, people post that video constantly. <laughs> 
from the family guy of him failing to catch <laughs> Bo Jackson. And, and Garen, God bless him. He's got a, you know, he's got a big heart and he's got yeah. uh, a, a real sense of humor about it. But so he found a picture of himself tackling Bo Jackson in real life. And he uses that as his response. To it whenever anybody <laughs> on his- that's so fantastic. I love it. That's oh, another that's one great. we used to do, you know, in fraternity house, like tournaments in because yeah. like, all the real players, like the best part of that game though, for me though, is like, the injuries and everything. Yes. Would, like, the, they'd the come wrestling. to get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Yeah. You'd really, and they come stretchy off. Yeah. And, like, you could just, you know, in a tournament style with, you know, all the guys in my fraternity playing, I'm like, I'm going to go after his star player. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you broke I'm going to beat right him. Like, him. That was it. Like, I'm a star hurt player. Him. Like a bounty bowl. Whole playing style. <laughs> bounty bowl. <laughs> I have read that Tecmo Bowl has such a dedicated fan base. There's actually like a, a cult audience out there that still to this day gets involved and they like they like update the ROMs to to update with like modern, with like modern players. So you can actually wow. there are versions of Tecmo Bowl out there you can play with like you know 2019 rosters, 2020 rosters. Like people like that. Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like they're, they're, they're that they're that dedicated to it. And like that's that's pretty like. There's a, that's awesome in so many different ways. To be honest with you, <laughs> I just I just I, I have to endorse that. I love it when a game can get under people's skin so much that they're like, we will continue to support it long after the original creators have forgotten about it. You know, and they've all moved on. I just think that's a super cool thing. I really do. Right. So, uh, Tom, what do you have? Another football game. I'm going with uh, Mutant League Football for Sega, which I love. <laughs> like. So, you know, me not being much of a football fan to start with, the fact that somebody would take a game and just make it more like a war zone with, like, mutants than an actual, like, football game was a really, really cool idea. So, like, you'd have these teams, like, made up of, like, skeletons and trolls and aliens and, like, all these, like, weird different, you know, mutants. Yeah. And they could run like all these odd like trick plays and everything like that with a ball would explode or like, and there were body parts just everywhere on the field. It was just <laughs> such a fantastic game. I'm like, I love that somebody with a truly twisted mind just like took a park apart football and yeah. made a new game out of it. And it would it just, we would get such a kick out of all the little things that would happen that it just, it got replayed over and over and over and over again. So you can get a new version of this game on Steam. Tom. You can? Oh my god. I'm, I'm away right now. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> I have to endorse that in the strongest possible terms. Did any of you guys play it as well? I mean, I, we had, I heard like, about it. I remember reading about it, I think. Yeah, I, I read a yeah. lot of magazines back then. Yeah, you know, I heard about it. Hurdle's a great game. I never actually played it, but it reminded me uh, a little bit of Cyberball, which yes, I did play in the yes, NES. Yes, yes. So, you know, it was like a football-like game, but there are things in there that made it very much far from football, most notably the fact that all your players are robots and that the football is actually a timed bomb that you can only defuse by like by scoring. And after a while, you start getting like, really like nervous because your, your, your quarterback drops back for a pass, and the thing is like blinking and humming in your hands like it's going to go off any moment like get, get rid of it you know it was like so far actual football but by her I, mutant league i i kind of imagine it was kind of like that you know it's like archon meets cyber oh, it's kind of, yeah like you could bribe the ref there were all sorts of- <laughs> no way could you oh, you could bribe the ref you could yeah oh that's fantastic how civilized so <laughs> <laughs> it's like a football game for people who hate football it's- yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to deviate a little bit. I'm going to name check a game that I never played, but I probably should have because 
you know, it was a, a game that kind of really helped define the NES. It's a game that I think I would love. Even now, if I go back and play it on an emulator, I'm sure I would really enjoy it, but I just never did for a variety of reasons. And it's uh, Legend of Zelda. And in, in, in fact, I've never played any Zelda games in in part uh, not, not not that I think they're bad. It, it, part of it is that I missed the original boat, right? And I feel like I should, for some reason, Zelda feels like a game series that if I'm going to play it at all, I should go back to the beginning and play all the way through just so I could be part of the whole phenomenon, even though I don't suspect there's a lot of continuity between from game to game necessarily. But I never, I never played Legend of Zelda, and I feel like I really missed out on a great opportunity to do so. And I think it, it was at the time... Anything that smacked of an RPG, I just stayed away from because I was doing a lot of heavy tabletop RPGing, and I just did, I was right. like, I don't know. It just, all seemed lightweight. Yeah, it seemed like kind of lightweight. Yeah, I was like, not really my jam. You know, I'll just go to actual tabletop stuff. But I know that I missed out on something wonderful and something that really captivated a lot of imaginations and is just great in so many ways. And I just never, I, I think I've really shortchanged myself and never, never playing it. So I, I mean to rectify that at some point, go back and and actually actually play it. I never played Zelda until the N64. And when I played Ocarina of Time, I was just like dumbstruck. That that game is one of the best games that has ever been made. Yeah. Chris, what have you got? I want to talk about Super Castlevania 4. <laughs> okay. Now I had never played Castlevania on, on the NES or, or, or the N or the Super NES, but uh my friend Marty's high school friend who who played football at WVU came to visit one weekend and brought super castlevania 4 he's like man i need you to beat this for me <laughs> a request damn so so i did i had never played the game uh but you know i got got into it quickly finished it by by sunday morning late wow what a what a great game that was it really made a lot of the uh mode 7 rotation of the super nes the Super NES had such really groundbreaking graphics for the time. That was one of the, the best games that I'd played. Um, at the same time that I was beating that game for him, he was getting my playthrough of UN Squadron uh, through a rough patch I'd come across. So, you know, win-win. Got to love it. Got to love it. Uh, Joe, what have you got? Yeah, I'm actually going to bring up uh, Duck Hunt. Oh, yes, because this was um, when we got the Nintendo, whatever it was in 89, um, it, it came with Mario Brothers and it came with Duck Hunt. Right. This was like yeah. the whistle command of, uh, of Nintendo. <laughs> you get it with the with the console. But it had that cool light gun. Right. Yeah. We actually, we're shooting at the screen. Now, the game itself, it was great. The game itself was not any great shakes. I mean, it was fun to shoot the yeah. ducks and the dog was kind of you know cute and everything. But it had that. It was that, fun to shoot the dog. Yeah, the novelty of <laughs> everybody unloaded on that dog at some time or another. It's the smirking of, little of, dickhead. Of, like, of, let him have it. <laughs> I mean, granted, you could walk right up and point the gun at the screen from a centimeter away yeah. if you wanted to. But there was a, there was, you know, it was like they were expanding what you could do with a control. Yeah. Uh, for the first time, and that was really, really neat. Well, that was the sort of thing that you could only previously you'd only ever see that sort of like dedicated hardware in an actual arcade the notion of having that at home was just completely alien you know the the tragedy of duck hunt is that the gun worked so well but duck hunt was kind of a like you said kind of an iffy sort of game there were like one or two other games i played that utilized the 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 light gun but they never paired up as well as it did with duck hunt (laughs) like duck hunt was the first and really the best iteration of the game plus gun you know for experience 
Um, but yeah, no, Duck Hunt was that, that was a good one. I still, even years after my brother got his NES, I would still go back to Duck Hunt once in a while just just to just to see how you know. And we would just do goofy things like, all right, guys, left hand only, you know, over the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you always yeah, trying to do, do weird trick shots. You know, do it with your eyes closed. You know, all that kind of stuff. And it was it was still a lot of fun. It was just it was a a, a ton of fun. So good good call there, Joe. Uh, Tom, what have you got? Marble Madness. I played a ton of. Um, like the physics in that game, it's just like so. Like Nintendo for me was like the first console where you like really had to like be good with the finesse and like yeah. Even with like the Super Mario games, um, like that stuff carries over. Like you could pick up a Switch today and play like Mario, and like if you nailed that finesse in the first game, you know, like the mm. jumping up in the air and controlling yourself in the air and stuff like that. Like kids today don't get that. They like they don't understand how you can be that good with the finesse and like Marvel madness was another of those games where like you just had to finesse everything that you did to roll, you know, the marble down the track and keep it from leaving the screen. And like, it just, it it took so much trial and error and, you know, so much feel to the game that I I loved it to death. I loved Marble Madness. I never developed the finesse needed to really be good at it, but you're right. It was there was a very narrow window of like just you had to nail things just right, and you couldn't if you if you got out of that lane, there was a very very small window to get back in the lane. Usually you would overcorrect, and you would just like it just all fell apart from there. <laughs> you know, it was like the, the but I was doing so well kind of effect was like that was Marble Madness like to a T, you know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop in 1943, the Battle of Midway for the NES, which was a top-down vertical scrolling uh, shoot 'em up where you were the last P-38 from a U.S. Uh, World War II battle group. The fact that I was playing a World War II battle Midway game made by a Japanese uh, publisher felt a little strange to me, but I was game anyhow. You, know, you flew around, you battled guys. You every once in a while there's a flight of red planes. You shot them, and they have a little thing called pow. It was like a power up. And if you kept shooting it, you could like flip it over and change what it would do to your 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 plane. Like if you flipped it over one way, it would give you like kind of a buckshot, you know, kind of spread. Hit another time, it would give you more like a machine gun kind of spread, you know, that sort of thing. And in the heat of the moment, if you know if you had a certain loadout you really liked, and you hit the pow, and you wanted to power up even further, and you got the wrong one. Like, oh no, I've got the wrong weapons configuration. So it got a little frantic. But you know, Joe, you're talking about games that have flow. This is one of those games where I'll never forget one time I just jumped on just to play. It was just one of those things. I didn't expect it, but I just I got in the groove. I had this game's number, and I was playing. I, I think I played for three hours before I just turned it off. I, got, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just done here. Like mm-hmm. I, I just I realized that. Unless I fell asleep while playing, the game was not going to stop me. I was just so locked in. And it was one of the few times where I can really say, like, I felt like I had truly broken the game and had beaten it at, at, on, its own, on its own home turf. And I probably I, – I never did it again. I couldn't do it again, I'm certain. It was just one of those weird things. That day, I was synced up perfectly with what the game had to offer. And it was in a weird – it felt weird to be like I am ahead of this game every step of the way. It just felt like I had stepped behind the curtain somehow. And uh, and that game gave me a very cool experience like that. So I, I always I always think fondly of, of uh, 1943 Battle Midway on that regard. Great arcade game too. It was a great arcade game. Yeah, no, no, no it, was, it was a good It was a good quarter sucker for sure. So oh, sure. Uh, Chris, what have you got? I've already mentioned UN Squadron in passing. That was a good one. Uh, F-Zero and, and Zombies Ate My Neighbors or Contenders, but... <laughs> you know, I, I've got to go with uh, Pilot Wings. That game was phenomenal. It, you know, it was it was really the first really 3D feeling simulation 
on a console and it was beautiful and it was zen it was low conflict so you know you just sort of like exist in that space i really really love that game pilot wings i never played it it was essentially a flight simulator. You know, you, uh, there, there was a glider, like a hang glider. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you pilot a rocket pack, uh, a biplane, a helicopter, and, and everything had different mechanics and different challenges. But it was just pure flying. It wasn't like dogfighting or anything like that. It was just flying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, I don't know, it was Zen. It was really yeah. just, a just like this, uh, uh zone kind of, Mm-hmm. vibe game this, this was an era when you could finally start to have actual simulators you know as 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 casual entertainment and it was a different kind of playing it was kind of amazing like even though the graphics were so far from what you'd see out of an actual cockpit it was really cool to be able to have that experience and it, it was suddenly you were just transported you know into something else and that was and i i remember i love early flight simulators for that reason it was just so much fun to do because they were just such a different kind of experience i really i really loved them a lot joe what have you got yeah, I mean, there were some games that I, I, I remember they were on console and on the computer. And so sometimes I forget which one I was doing. Like, I played a lot of SimCity, but I think it was mainly mm. computers and not on the console. Uh, same for Populous, um, Populous. Eh, which is its own thing. Or Pirates, for that matter. There were Pirates. Yeah. You played Pirates Gold on um, on these things. Uh, so I think for me, I'm just going to go one last time because I haven't formally done it. And that's to um, just... Acknowledged it began a long-running relationship with the with the Madden uh, football franchise that that continues to this day for me. I mean, every every year I get it in my stocking for Christmas, and <laughs> it doesn't matter if all they did was give it a coat of paint. But I, I, I get the new version, you know, for 35 years now. It's it's um, really been something that that I enjoy, and and I look forward to. It. My kids will play play it now, and yeah. You look back in the early 90s and it really did change what was possible. And, and, and you know, John, John Madden himself was deeply involved in the game and advising it and, and insisted on certain things um, that would be present in it. And so things like audibles and things like referees and just like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that started to populate the game. And, and in a funny story, they put in the, the, the first down line in the game. And they were in a meeting with Madden. He said, you know, we ought to have that on our broadcasts. And then he took it back with him and he told the Fox guys like, you know, hey, you know, we ought to have this. And they said, that's not possible. He goes, oh, that's a bunch of, you know, crap. You, we ought, and that's, it was actually John Madden's idea to have that on the screen. Uh, no way. Yours. Yeah. <laughs> as much as the that's... game informed the game, which yeah. impacts the game informed the game. <laughs> so by, awesome. by extension, he's the guy that had the, the red circle following the puck in NHL broadcasts. <laughs> By extension, I, yeah. I don't know what what Madden Great. was about hockey. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. What I love about Madden was like you had to play that game strategically. Like you know, I, I knew guys who would just like walk into that and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna play it like we're playing in our backyard." Like every down, everybody goes for the bomb. Like no, that's not gonna work. Like you got to think about this. You got to think about defenses and then you know all the you know the strategic parts of football or you're just getting yeah. opposed tom what have you got uh i have a few left but um I, I i can't let the episode pass without pouring one out for sonic all right not the <laughs> uh, not the movie definitely not the movie people forget how much of a groundbreaking game that was when sega genesis first came out like sonic the hedgehog was just like 
you were thinking and like you know it wasn't like mario where you know it would it was pretty straightforward i mean you were like going backwards on the board you were yeah. up in the air you were off the screen i mean that game was just bonkers it was just like hyper accelerated side scroller that yeah. I, I just you know like I, like I said I never had a Sega but I know how to play that game really well. <laughs> yeah, I put in very little time with the Genesis, but um, Derek, who edits this podcast, he had a Genesis, and I remember going over to his house a couple of times and, and playing on it. He showed me Sonic, and I remember I felt I felt like an Amazonian like seeing ice for the first time. I was like just, just so like just. <laughs> so blown back like my brain could not keep up with the pace of that game like I was clearly not prepared for this like what the who the how the what <laughs> and just, it was just so crazy like I was I, I was I was terrible but I was exhilarated by the experience like it was so so fast so much faster than what I was really ready for and uh and to this day I have a hard time going back to Sonic because I think I had this deep muscle memory of like too much speed <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah exactly can't, can't handle it um Okay, look one la- one last round here. I'm gonna go with Metal Gear for the for the, for the NES. Long before the Metal Gear franchise really started to develop these truly like cinematic aspirations and got really seriously complex and really kind of pushed the cutscene ahead and started doing all sorts of things that, that for, honestly for me actually aren't part of an optimal game experience necessarily. The original Metal Gear for Nintendo was quite an interesting game. It was just you're dropped off in enemy territory, OSP, on-site procurement, which is a cheap way of saying you start off with no weapons. <laughs> it was stealth-based. And I just remember, like, I played it, like, five or six times before I finally grasped the fact that I w- this is not Commando. I was not just going to run through and shoot everything. I had to be kind of quiet and figure things out. And I didn't really know where to go either. I think for me, it was like a proto sandbox game. And I really just loved the experience because I was so discombobulated by it. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it once I got there. And uh, I never finished it. And and it was a cool game. I was just sort of baffled by how far... Like, I was talking before about how like that time I played Battle Midway, I was so far ahead of the game. This is one where I felt the game was so far ahead of me. I wasn't great at it, but I appreciated being in that space. It was really, really kind of humbling, and I, I thought it was a cool experience. You had to play those games about trial and error. Stealth games ultimately yeah. come down to trial and error, and it's a, it's a difficult yeah. thing to get into. Yeah, especially yeah. at certain times. I think you know, yeah. in in video games. Uh, all right, Chris, what have you got uh, for Super NES Act Razor? This game. Oh my goodness! It was uh, it was an early Super NES game. And it was half 2D, you know, Barbarian with a sword, you know, well, maybe more fighter mage with a sword and casting spells uh, to to clear out bad guys. And -hmm. then the other half of the game was sort of populous light. And and, oh, my gosh, it was great. It, It was it was beautiful. The soundtrack was absolutely phenomenal. And it, it had this really neat balance of gameplay styles that was uncommon for the day. Yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I, again, it, it, it really was kind of like an early version of Grand Theft Auto. Okay, right, right. You know, well, I'm looking forward to getting back in the NES games now that you know you can find them on emulators and that sort of thing because there's so many great ones, and I just I missed all of them back in the day. Like I missed every single one, so it's kind of cool to 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 hear about what what are the ones that are worth worth playing even years removed what are the ones that are worth going back to this is kind of exciting for me so dig this in a big way joe what have you got yeah um 
it's hard to say because they start to swim at this point um, <laughs> with, with the other ones that are that are out there. I remember playing, you know, Double Dragon and, you know, <laughs> the different, the different fighting games, a lot of Golden Axe. Um, so, you know, like a lot of ports. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and that sort of thing. If I absolutely had to pick one, it would be the second Castlevania. Um, mm. Castlevania 2, uh, which came out you know fairly early. I think it was 88 or something like that. Just because it, it had that almost Diablo-esque where you, you kill enemies, you get money, you buy stuff so you can kill more bad guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. so like endlessly that. repeatable. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's like, and, I can do this for all day. It's a yeah. feedback loop now. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Castlevania 2, I think when I think back to, the, um, to those kinds of games, the chasing your tail, that's really the one that I think of. Lovely. Love it. Tom, what have you got? Life Force. I don't oh, know yeah. if before, oh. but um, you know, I, I used to play the version in the arcades. Like I really wanted a console version. It was a really compelling console version of it. But like, you know, you have a ship that like goes through, you know, like two fire buttons kind of thing. It's going through like a human body and yeah. you know, on its way to uh, you know, battle all sorts of like mutated, weird, you know, yeah. biological weirdness, you know, monsters and stuff <laughs> along the way. It was just uh I, I love that game in the arcades and like it was just it was a true to life yeah. port for Sega that I just absolutely loved as well. There was a port for that for SNES and I think even for NES as well. Um like like it's hard to overstate how influential Life Force was at the time. That game was so good in its various iterations. It spawned so many imitators and there were so many other side scrolling games in a vaguely grotesque organic environment. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was just like clearly it's it, you know you know what we're doing. This is life force. Now move on. You know it was that kind of thing, <laughs> and I can see that being just awesome on the Genesis. Genesis was like had had the horsepower to do it right. Uh, it was terrific, you know, in all these ports. But like the one for Genesis was particularly good. So yeah. oh, fantastic, Chris. What have you got? Zombies ate my neighbors for Super NES. <laughs> what a that, great name! <laughs> oh my gosh, it was such a cool game. Um, imagine the aesthetic from uh, Plants vs. Zombies. Yep. If you, if you played that game on yeah, mobile. yeah. But the idea is that you were either the brother or sister of a, of a you know pair of siblings, and your town was being invaded by zombies. You know, adults were not to be trusted, and it, it was it was like this sort of you know, isometric, two-dimensional, semi-three-dimensional shooter where, you know, you're running around in a, you know, on the ground, bam, 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 you know, trying to kill the zombies and whatnot. But there are all these really inventive, you know, power-ups and things, the, the kind of stuff that would eventually come to fruition in the Capcom games where you're in the zombie mall. This game was like, it was in endlessly inventive and, and just really adorable and awesome, really way ahead of its time. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think it's going to bring Thunder Round to a close. Before we wrap up, a final thought. As the SNES and Genesis battled for marketplace dominance, the contest became so protracted and so high profile that it gathered mainstream media attention. And as it did, people who normally would not have cared about video games at all started taking a closer look at the games themselves to see what all the hubbub was about. Now, on the Nintendo side of things, there was nothing people got worked up over because Nintendo made such a point of churning out family-friendly content. It was kind of like the Walt Disney of the video game world. That wasn't so with Sega. You know, for them, the Genesis provided all kinds of games with all kinds of content for all kinds of gamers. 
but you know there were certain publishers they saw this as a platform where they could actually put out you know edgier and more violent games uh, it's no coincidence that while the snes had street fighter the genesis had mortal kombat uh, and even more violent games uh, such as night trap and splatterhouse 2 and 3 and the immortal you know those drove skittish parents and clueless but opportunistic lawmakers on a collision course with everybody else's fun and soon the narrative wasn't about who would win the console war but how were people going to police the games themselves? Uh, now, thankfully, the industry formed the Entertainment Software Rating Board as a way to rate its own content. And that was enough to get people to look elsewhere. That, and th frankly, there being no credible causal link whatsoever between violent video games and violent actions in the real world. But the nice thing about the ESRB is that as necessary evils go, it, it turned out to be pretty harmless. It's that rare case where an industry's self-regulation helped put minds at ease and prevented a legislative reaction that would have surely prevented some truly excellent content from being made. You know, every rising form of entertainment causes a moral panic at some point. If anything, the near miss that we experienced over violent video games during the Nintendo and Sega years proved to anyone paying attention that as a form of entertainment, as a narrative medium, and as even a nascent art form, video games had truly arrived, and how lucky we are that they did. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, this has been Moments of Truth. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com. Yeah, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that maybe Platoon is not the movie you should have made a Nintendo game for. That's... <laughs> it's a strange marketing decision anyway it, it, you know yeah, i mean <laughs> sophie's choice multiplayer oh come on <laughs> kramer versus kramer gore fest <laughs>